On today's episode of the There is a Floodlight That Never Goes Out podcast, me, Ed and Will chat to Joe Cran about everything ranging from his time in South Africa, attending the 2010 and 2014 World Cups, the Bafana Bafana team, the South African Premier Division, Percy Tau, and more on to English football, uh, his beloved Sheffield Wednesday and what it's been like covering them this season. I think I speak on behalf of all of the lads here when I say that this was the most fun we've had recording an episode yet. Stick around for the entire one hour and ten minutes and you'll enjoy every last second of it. Hello and welcome back to the There is a Floodlight That Never Goes Out podcast. As usual, I'm joined by Ed and Will and I'm delighted to say today we're joined by Joe Cran. How are you, Joe? All good, thank you very much. All good. Uh, Love the name of the podcast, by the way. Cheers. Um, Love the Smiths. Hate Morrissey. Um, first question then, um, did you always want to be in the in the journalism industry? Uh, no, I, I think like so many of us, I wanted to be a professional footballer. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's always kind of where it all starts. And I mean, I was, I was quite, I suppose lucky is the right word. I, I realised at the age of probably 12, 13 that I was, I was never going to be good enough to play at any, any sort of decent level. So sort yeah. of the way my teenage brain worked was, well, what's the best way I can get into the game without actually playing it? And, you know, the written word and sort of English was something I was always quite good at. Something came quite easily to me. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lucky situation to be in that by the time I was 13, 14 years old, I already knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so to sort of follow that up, what were your first sort of steps into journalism? So I did I did quite a bit when I was in secondary school. Uh, I did some sort of worked for a little Sheffield newspaper. It was not even a newspaper. A little Sheffield magazine called the Cube. Um, right. I did some bits and bats for them, and um, you know you you spend your time writing around to different people, trying to get a bit of advice, a bit of work experience, all that kind of stuff. But then I went on to do media studies in English at, at college. And then from there, I, I did my, my NCTJ, which is the, the journalism certificate. I did that when I was sort of 18, 19. And yeah. the plan was to go off to university and study to be a journalist. And then an opportunity in South Africa came about and the, the university thing just never really happened after that. Yeah, so how did that opportunity come about then? Because we mentioned to this, this to your fair, it's not a normal sort of pathway to go to Africa, is it? No, no. And if you'd asked me, at, you know, when I was 17, 18, if I was at some point going to spend almost a decade living in, in South Africa, we would have laughed in your face, to be honest, because it, yeah. it was never part of the plan. But basically what happened was I, the, the short story is, I went over for the World Cup in, in 2010 and I did some voluntary work out there uh, and, I, and I had a, but I was basically asked if I'd be a guinea pig for a, uh, like a work experience thing with a, a newspaper called Sokoladuma. And Sokoladuma is mm. one of the biggest selling football publications in the world, actually, if you look at actual numbers of, of sales and stuff. And right. um, I, I went over there and I did a month's work experience. And after I'd done my month, the, the guy who owned the paper, he said, look, we'd, we'd love to have you in, involved. Would you fancy mm. going to work for us? And you know, I had a whole year-long trip planned where i was going all over the place on a you know a horrible 
it's, the the Gapian name has been ruined now yeah. by many videos yeah. online. But <laughs> that's what I was doing. Um, but I took some time out, and yeah, so I sort of said thanks for the thanks for the the offer, but I've got this this trip to do, and I'll see where I'm at when I'm done. And then about probably halfway through my trip, I got a message from from Peter, who who's the owner, and he said, look. We weren't joking. We'd love, we'd love to have you on board if, if some, if it's something you'd want to do. So, basically, I finished my my trip. I, I deferred from university for a year and thought, you know what, I'll go, I'll go spend a year in South Africa. You know, yeah, see how it goes. And then, then I met my now fiance, and the job went well. And I moved from Cape Town to Johannesburg and started going to tournaments all over the world. And yeah, ten years down the line, I was still there. Yeah. So, uh, Joe, if I just ask uh, so obviously when you're in south africa what was kind of your day-to-day role you know what were you doing just like simply reporting on different sports or no no i was i fully sort of threw myself into um it's called the premier soccer league which is the mm-hmm. the the south african league system they've got the absa premiership it's dstv premiership now but when i was working there it was the absa premiership um and and the second division and then Covering Bafana Bafana, which is the national team, and, and Banyana, which is the um, the female national team. So I was covering all of that. Really, I spent a lot of time uh, sort of tracking down and covering a lot of the South African boys who were playing in in Europe and around the world. You know, I, I was lucky enough to, by the time, sort of the the latter latter part of my time in South Africa, when I'd built up quite a a good name for myself, I, I was lucky enough to sort of travel around. A, went to watch some of the South African boys playing in, in France and places like that. And it was, yeah, it was quite a, um, it was quite a, a broad, broad job in a South African football sense, but it was very much South African football. It, it, yeah. I wasn't really reporting on um, anything European. It was effectively like learning a new language, to be honest. You know, I, I knew yeah. bits and bats about the South African game. You know, uh, it's weird for me now thinking, you know, I'm, I'm now friends with like Lucas Khadebi and, you know, and Sean Barlett and people like that, and that's mad because as a kid they were people that I grew up watching, and um, so I knew a little bit about South African football. But yeah, when I moved there, it was it was like learning a whole new language because there's a whole league, well, a whole league system of of players that I didn't know, and it was quite a challenge. It was a it was something that I, I think was was really good for me because it gave me a, an entirely different perspective on. Um, where football is at on a, a global scale, I suppose. Mm. Joe, you mentioned earlier about the obviously the 2010 World Cup was in South Africa. Did that really have a profound impact on South African football? Uh, I think in many ways it did. Uh, it, it you look at where South African football is at, and um, commercially the league is ridiculous. Um, you know. The, the quality of it in terms of where they're at on a football basis is something that if you ask a lot of people in South Africa to split opinion, um, the way I've always said it was it's not as it's nowhere near as, as bad as what a lot of people say it is and it's nowhere near as good as what other people say it is. It's kind of um, yeah. just a, a, a good solid level as a, as a league. But there's a, there's a lot of legacy from the World Cup in terms of the money that went around. But... That being said, there's also a lot of money that's been wasted, and you've unfortunately got quite a lot of, uh, you know, the the white elephants that they call them in in South Africa of stadiums and things like that. But what one thing I will say is that that World Cup was was really special. I, it was the first one that I'd had chance to go to, and I 
I'm probably a little bit biased because, you know, I was a 20 year old and it was, I basically just parted for a month and a half um, while working a little bit in between. Um, but I think the thing that really made the South African World Cup special for me and I've, it's sort of been, re it's been reinforced since I've been to ones afterwards. When, when South Africa went out, it was almost just like, eh, who cares? We weren't going to win it anyway. And it just, it was almost like the South Africans were determined to give such a good account of the country and make sure everybody felt so welcome that even when South Africa went out, it was just, it just continued. And, you know, I was in, in Brazil, I was in Rio when, well, I was actually at the game when, when Brazil got hammered in the 2014 World Cup. And it just felt like the World Cup died that day. And it was similar in Russia. When Russia got knocked out, you know, it loses some of its it loses some of its spark. And that I think that is just it's natural because you lose the support of the the home nation. Whereas with South Africa, it just it just continued and they then they support started supporting Ghana and yeah, it was just it was wicked. It was such a such an amazing time to sort of get introduced to South Africa. And look, don't get me wrong. South Africa during the World Cup is not like South Africa day to day. A lot, the 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 day to day living in South Africa is very very different um, compared to what it was like during the World Cup. But uh, the, yeah, I think there's a lot of good that came from the World Cup and some 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 not so good stuff. But from a, from a a large to a large extent, I think the biggest the biggest thing for South Africa during the World Cup was. You know, you get all these people who will tell you it's so dangerous to go to South Africa and you should never go. And people are saying, yeah, I'd, I'd never go. It's too dangerous for me. And then the World Cup goes there and everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. We'll go for that. And um, and after that, you know, I've never met anybody who's been to South Africa who doesn't want to go back. And that, you know, the World Cup played a big part in that because people will forget their fears. They'll forget sort of the prejudices and the ideas that they have in their head for football. And um, I think there's a lot of good came from... From, purely from a tourism perspective for South Africa because all of a sudden people let their guards down a little bit and went somewhere that they maybe wouldn't normally have gone. Yeah, and you talked earlier about you having to learn pretty much a new language in terms of South African football. What's the yeah. South African football scene actually like? Because in England, certainly, I think we only really know Orlando Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs and that's because they're on FIFA. Um, yeah. So what what's it like over there? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting league. So you've obviously got those two, which are size-wise the biggest teams in the country. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to go to many, many Soweto derbies and it, it really is, it's a sight to be old. Like, I, just before I left, before I moved back home, I, my mum and dad came over to visit. And I, it was it was the first time where they'd come and it had lined up with a derby and I managed to get as a box sorted and took my mum and my dad. There's 90,000 90, people packed into FNB Stadium and there's no segregation there with um, fans. So the Chiefs and Pirates fans are all just kind of mixed up and the Vuvuzelas are going and the singing and the dancing and it's just, yeah, it's it's wicked. It really is. Like the, the Sweater Derby is something that I would genuinely recommend to every single football fan in the world. If if, if you can get to a Sweater Derby at some point in your life, you got to do it. it. It really is special, but... Um, yeah, there's a lot more to the league than that. Um, there's there's a team called Mamelodi Sundowns now who are um, Sundowns are just they're huge now. The the success of that football club. They had a guy called Patrice Motsepe who was the who's been the chairman for many many years. He threw money at it and they built 
just an absolute monster of a football football team. Um, <laughs> they had Johan Jeskins yeah. as manager at one point, and if you remember him, played for Holland. Um, didn't go, yeah. Didn't, yeah, didn't quite go so well for him um, when he was there. But then after after Jeskins left, they appointed a guy called Pizzo Massimani, and, and Pizzo is now the the manager of Al Ahly in Egypt. Oh, yeah. But, but Pizzo turned Sundowns into a major, major force. They won the CAF Champions League. They won a lot of domestic trophies as well. They went off to the Club World Cup and all that kind of thing. Um, and now Sundowns are just, yeah, they, they are the team to beat in, in South African football. And uh, Patrice Matsepi, who was chairman, has now um, he's now on his way to be the president of the African Football Association. So, um, so you know, he's, yeah, he's moving on to, yeah, yeah. Patrice has, has done a, a lot, not just for, not just for Sundowns, but South African football in general. He, you know, it's his name on the, um, on on one of the leagues a little bit further down the rung, the ABC uh, ABC Motsepi League. So yeah, he's pushed a lot of money into South African football and done done a lot of good for it. Um, yeah, but it's a really, like I say, it's a really interesting scene because South Africa is a, a huge country and um, you've you've got the sort of the, the stalwarts who've been there forever. Um, like Chiefs and Pirates and Sundowns have been around for a while. You've got newer teams like Super Sport United who won uh, quite a lot of trophies um, back in the day. And now you've got, I suppose, the, you've got a few young upstarts, really. Um, the team called Cape Town City, who um, had Benny McCarthy as the manager for a little while. Um, right, and Cape yeah. Town City are very, they're an old club, but they disappeared for a long time and then they were sort of Brought back into brought back to life a few years back, um, and they're sort of classed as one of the, I suppose one of the cool the cool clubs who you know, the big push on social media for them and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But it is it's it's a it's a really interesting scene just because of, um, the way that South African football is, they have a very distinct sort of identity and way of playing. Um, if, do yourself a favor and just go on online and search for Kasi uh, Flavor. It's it's K K A S I and then Flavor, either as you would spell it or F L A V A, and it's um it's basically township football, and a lot of the South African, um, I suppose that a lot of the, the South Af the South African way of playing is is portrayed in in the Kasi Flavor and and um. It's just, yeah, I'm sure you've seen videos online of the guys like dancing on the ball and stuff like yeah. that. And it's like completely unnecessary, but it's done for purely entertainment value. It's, um, it can be quite frustrating um, if you're watching a game and it's nil-nil and guys are doing that. But it's just part of the South African DNA and um, they've built a really, really good product there uh, in terms of what the super sport, which is like the like African version of Sky Sports. Um, and Supersport have done an incredible job marketing the league alongside the PSL and um, yeah there's there's all sorts going on there and I think it's a league that um, has the potential to be absolutely massive if uh, if it keeps going at the the growth that it is um, and and it's there's there's uh, a lot of money in it now as well. I'll try to like sort of throw a blanket over every club and box them into sort of one pool. What level would you say the South African league's at if you were to compare it to a division in England? It's it's really I've had a lot of people ask me that and it's really tough to say. Um you know, I, I think if you took if you take sort of sundowns at their peak, um, I reckon they could 
they'd probably be sort of looking championship um mm. somewhere around there but there's also teams in the in in, in the PSL sorry in the in the Abs Premiership or GSB Premiership I don't know um who I think are, are closer to league 2 teams so it's right. it's it's quite difficult to say and and like you said about blanket blanketing it you can't really because um yeah it's it's quite it's quite ranging and there's quite a lot of big difference between the top teams and the bottom teams for me yeah. the the better way to do it what from a wednesday perspective for instance i think if if wednesday were to go into the the psl i reckon there would be it would be a sort of a top 4 at least club there you know pushing for the title right. every year that, that and, and again it's a very easy thing to say but we'll never know <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so uh, sort of how is english football viewed over in south africa is, is it popular or is it sort of a massively so thing? yeah no no massively so it, to to the point where it's um in some ways it's a bit problematic how big it is um yeah. because the the south african game kind of gets forgotten like sometimes and it's it's really sad for me sometimes it's well not sometimes most of the time it's easier to watch a european champions league game than it is to watch an african champions league game um just because of the the tv rights are a lot more readily available um you obviously find it's it's mainly the the, the big boys over there you know we've got a lot of liverpool man united arsenal chelsea fans um it is getting better you find that a lot of them a lot of people have two teams over there yeah. so they'll have a, a team they support in south africa and then they'll have a a european or a, a, an english team as well but it's um yeah the, the the premier league is is massive and it's it's why i don't know if you've seen anything about it there's a, a guy called percy tao who plays yeah. for, for brighton yes, yeah and and ev- every time they mention his name yeah. on their social media it just explodes and 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 that i think is a, a sign of where south africa is at and they just mm-hmm. they do, they want they want Percy to do well so desperately because it is a if he can succeed in the Premier League it's a it's a sign that they're back on the right track because you know there was a period back in the day when you know when you had the Sean Bartlett's and you Mark Fishers and Lucas Kadebe and you know a little bit more recently Stephen Pinar and and those guys and and for so long there's just been no South Africans in the Premier League and they're they're desperate to sort of to change that and there is a generation coming through now of either either south african born players or south african heritage players who are playing in premier league clubs now um someone like kenya leshabela who um i've spoken to and has got a very very thick british accent but um <laughs> leshabela is a, is a south african name his family's from there and he's played for the, the youth teams in south africa so there's a the Premier League is still for for many seen as I suppose the holy grail of of, of where the Africans want their players to be playing. Um, obviously, while you've been out in South Africa, you've been some like amazing events. Who are some of the best people you've met while out in South Africa? Um, if I include the trips that I did while I was working in South Africa, um, you know, I met Cesc Fabregas and he was brilliant. Fabregas was just yeah. so genuine and and lovely. And as an example with with, with Fabregas, I, I asked him about there was a, a young player called Lyle Foster who was a South African boy who joined Monaco at like seventeen years old from Orlando Pirates, and he you know, he was in the youth setup there and he was sort of trying to make his way. 
and I asked I asked Fabregas about him. I expected to kind of get pied off a little bit and just get get the mm-hmm. old, you know, he's a he's a talented young player and yeah. you know the same thing that you could say for any player and it makes no difference. But yeah. he actually took yeah. the time and, and he knew who Lyle was and he was talking about how um, a player had just got injured and it was a big chance for Lyle to try and kick on and I I love that like I just it it's just so nice to have someone who who cares really you know yeah. who doesn't just want to say just fob you off um. I've, yeah, I've been really lucky. I did some work with with Marcel Desailly at one point, which was which was good because he's a character. Uh, I can't, and I've mentioned him a couple of times already. I can't talk about people without talking about Lucas. Lucas yeah. Halebi is is genuinely one of the nicest people you could ever wish to meet. Yeah, he is right. like like he'll message make. Obviously, he, he knows I'm a Wednesday eye, and we we he played for Leeds, he's. Yeah. He played for Leeds and he's like a god there. And we 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 obviously used to give each other a bit of banter about it. But um, like Lucas will still message me every now and again just to see how I am, even though I've left now. And yeah, he's he's a, he's a cracking cracking human being. Short ball, that's brilliant as well. Uh, but I've yeah, I've been quite lucky to sort of speak to varying different people. Um, but a lot of the time, when you get to the international stuff, you know, it's it's done via email, it's done via phone all that kind of stuff, rather than actually getting to meet people. Dwight York was a good laugh. He came over to do some punditry work in South Africa at one point, and yeah, Dwight was good. Yeah. Um, so you talked about some of the experiences you had. I had a look through your Instagram, and I was very impressed about the people you've met, but I saw that you had dinner with Ian Wright once. I mean, what was that like? Yeah, he is, honestly, he's brilliant. Like... I was just thinking when you asked me that question, there's so many that I will have just completely forgotten because, yeah. um, well, firstly, I haven't left the house properly in about a year. So, you know, <laughs> it all feels like so long ago. But yeah, Ian was Ian was brilliant. I I did some, some basically a friend of mine was doing some work with Ian and he messaged me and he was just like, I'm going for dinner with Ian, right? Do you want to come for a drink? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'll drop everything that I'm doing to come to that. That's, that's absolutely no hassle at all. Um, and yeah, he was another one. He's just very, very genuine. The Ian Wright that you um, and the Ian Wright that you see on TV is exactly like he is in real life. That's he's just that bubbly kind of character who's got time for people and is more than happy to, um, you know, just just share his stories with you. And I was with him when he's actually when his um, his FIFA Ultimate Team card got announced, and yeah. he was. He was buzzing. He was, <laughs> he was really happy about that. But yeah, Ian Wright was Ian Wright was great. But you, you, if you've looked through my Instagram, you're probably a better place to tell me who I've yeah, met I mean, and who I, who I haven't met. To be honest, on the thumbnail for our YouTube video, we've got a picture of you with Patrick Clivert. So, oh yeah, um... that was good. Patrick was good because he, um, he, he's got quite a, a big connection to South Africa. He was uh, the picture you've seen. I'm sure is the one where he's got the the band on with, with the armband. Um, um, yeah. Oh no, it's not. It's the picture of just me and him, right? Basically, the reason I started talking to him is he he, he wears a wristband which has got um, Nelson Mandela's inmate number on it, um, right. and he wears that all the time. Um, obviously, Mandela's a, an inspiration for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, he was he was a very nice guy as well. Very good English. Yeah, I played over here for Newcastle, didn't he? Yeah. 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 The early two thousands. Um, so probably moving on now to the uh, the Wednesday sort of side of things. What is it like being able to cover your boyhood club? 
I thought it was going to be all fun and games, and then <laughs> and this season happened. It's been carnage, hasn't it? It really has. I don't, I don't think that. I don't think I was mentally prepared for just what goes on at this football club. You know, in my head, when I took the job, it was like, amazing. I'm going to go cover my boyhood club. I'm going to go, you know, watch games at Hillsborough. It's going to be full of people and they're going to be singing all of the songs that I grew up with and all that kind of stuff. And with the points deduction with the horrible season it's been with the lack of fans with everything that's come with covid it's just it's just, it's been pretty much nothing like i expected it to be um, i still you know it's, it's still amazing for me to be covering my boy club and i i've loved the year that i've had i think you know there's been a few a few highlights bournemouth away was wicked um uh, yeah I don't know if you saw the video of, of the goal on Sky and you can hear someone shouting in the background. That's that's me, that. Um, <laughs> which, is, which is not very professional of me. But it had been a long season and we just scored a late winner at Bournemouth and I couldn't help myself. Um, but, but yeah, it's, like I say, it, it's, been, it's been really nice sort of getting to know my club a little bit better and, and I suppose getting to, to know the ins and outs of it all. But... Obviously, it would have been nicer to do it in different circumstances. It it genuinely makes me really sad when I go to Hillsborough and there's nobody else there. The the last game was was horrible in that sense because yeah. I just know just know what Hillsborough would have been like with Wednesday five 0 up out of nowhere and yeah, it just would have been amazing. And it, like I say, for me, it's it's it is really sad that I've I've been to so many games this season and the the few high points we have had, there's been no one but myself and a handful of others there to sort of enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, Joe, um, you're talking earlier about sort of, uh, you know, promising South African players. And I remember Wednesday we're linked with Bongani Zungu, I think was it in the Carlos yeah. era. And then yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm right thinking he went to Rangers this season and hasn't really kicked on. Do you think he's one of those players that sort of, you know, if he, if, he, if things go his way, sort of can crack the Premier League perhaps? Possibly, Bongs. What one thing that Bongs has got going from is his physique. He's unlike a lot of you find a lot of South African players. You are um, really quick, really technically gifted, but obviously you can't really build on your physique. You know, you're either a big person or you're not. And South Africans aren't necessarily big people. Um, but Bongs has got got that in his locker because he is just, a, like I say, a naturally big person. The thing with Carlos was interesting because obviously he was playing in Portugal at the time at, at Guimarães. Yeah. Um, and it, it never got any further than just Alice had kept an eye on him, really. And I don't think he would have got a work permit to come to the to come to England at the time, anyway. Yeah. To be honest, because the obviously the work permit rules. I know they've changed recently, but they're pretty strict. Um, but yeah, he's he's certainly got that that potential to do that. But whether whether that'll happen for him or not is is. Yeah, it, it's just a, a matter of seeing what happens. It, I wouldn't be surprised if um, if he's a sort of player that you know ends up going into the Middle East or something like that. Yeah. Now, um, yeah, I think I think a lot of a lot of players when you go somewhere like like at Rangers, for instance, it's it's been tough for him. You know, yeah. Well, right, I think he broke play... COVID lockdown rules. Um, did he yeah, break yeah, yeah, there was. There was a whole a whole thing about that, and I play devil's advocate on it a little bit. I think it's very difficult because 
and move into a new country where it's absolutely Baltic and you're stuck in a hotel yeah. and you can't see anybody, you don't know anybody there, you can't have any sort of social life. And when I say no. social life, I don't mean like partying and that. I just mean in anything. You know, you're literally stuck in a hotel, going to the changing rooms. You can't get to know anybody off the field. So I think it's all very... I, and, and like I say, this isn't just with, with him. I just feel like it's a general thing for anybody doing anything at this time of uh, this time of life. You know, as a footballer, you want to start to build relationships with, with your teammates. And you can't just do that on the ground. You know, you can't just do that at training. You, you need to have those um, those team building exercises and all that kind of stuff. And, and they've just, you know, he's not had a chance to do that. Yeah, um, you talked about work permits as well. Um, now, Tao, um, Brighton signed him in 2018, but then he's been on loan in Belgium. Uh, Belgium. Yeah. Uh, what sort of explain how, could you explain possibly how um, the work permits ruled changed, sorry, in order for him to sort of come to the South Coast at last? A bit Brexit. A bit long oh, and short. That's is it simple as that? Um, yeah, the... The, the obviously when Brexit came around, they had to rethink the rules and how it worked. And before, it, it's it was a complicated system before, and it's still a relatively complicated system now. Basically, the fact that he was playing in he he'd been playing in the Champions League with um, with Club Bruges before, it gave him the points that he needed to um, get in on the new rules. So that's why they did it when they did it and, and cut his loan short at Anderlecht because they needed to do it at that point for him to get the the work permit. But it is, it's a, like I say, they, they changed the rules completely because of Brexit and it, it now is a situation where the rules are slightly uh, more lenient in the terms of hitting the points you need to, it's a points-based system. So yeah. in order to hit the points, it's a little bit more lenient now but you're fighting against everybody yeah. so before it was stricter um but you know you weren't having to battle it out with guys from france and italy and spain whereas now it's like I say it's a little bit more lenient but you're now going up against anybody who's not british yeah i mean do you think tau will be successful um for the seagulls or not I really hope so. I think Percy's got a lot in his locker and, you know, for me, one thing that makes Percy stand out is his his sort of attitude and his desire to be the best that he can be. I mean, he was he was a bit of a late bloomer in, in South Africa. He was playing for Sundowns and he got shipped out on loan a couple of times because um, they weren't sure he was up to it. And then he just kind of burst onto the scene and he could have stayed in South Africa and earned more than enough money. You know, you've yeah. got guys in South Africa earning, you know, substantial sums. You know, it's not like a, you don't you don't need to leave anymore. It's not like back in the day where you had to leave to to make a decent living. You know, you, you can live like a king now if you play for one of the top teams in South Africa. Um, yeah. But, but Percy's dream was always to go bigger than that, and he always wanted to get to as high as he possibly could. And whether Percy will do it at Brighton. I don't know. I think he's he's got what it takes to play in the Premier League. I just think he needs a um, he needs a period to get used to to how it to how Brighton play, for instance. Yeah. Um, and given the situation they find themselves in, in this year, um, 
it's it's a tough time to try and break through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just sort of moving on to Wednesday. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, Tom and Will are both Barnsley fans, so hopefully they don't give us too much stick. Um, obviously, there's one... I mean, is it simple? There's one obvious question. Um, have Wednesday left themselves too much to do, in your opinion? I think so. Yeah. Um the one that killed me was Luton. Yeah. I was I was always sort of remaining optimistic all the way through and I I just don't think that this group of players should be where they are. Do you know what I mean? Like on yeah. paper, obviously. Yeah. I, I look at the, the way this um the, the players available and you it, if you look man for man at other teams across the league just shouldn't be where they are. And, and I always thought that that quality, I suppose, would would be enough. I was never under the impression that we were going to be flying high or anything like that, but I just thought that they had enough to finish, say, 20th, 21st. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Luton one really knocked me for six. And I think it was because, because of how genuinely good they were in the first half. And it just felt like when that first goal went in, I remember saying to the guys I was at the game with, I was like, we're going to lose this. It was typical Wednesday, just, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. And they've just been so fragile this season. And that was, you know, bringing it onto a bit of a happy note. That's what I think was most impressive for me with a Cardiff, a Cardiff game was in the second half, at 3-0, I was genuinely worried that if they got one back, that we'd at, like, at least draw that game. Definitely, because I just felt yeah. like they were gonna, they were just gonna crumble again. And the fact that they not only held on but added to it, yeah. I think, is a testament to the work that um, the Darren Moore's done. And, and, and sorry, lads, to mention the Barn- Barnsley game, <laughs> that was an example okay. of it. Because I mean, you can let us have that. You've been way better than us this season, so you know yeah. you were very good yeah. that day. We just didn't show up at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that game, the was another one like that and again I think it's down to Darren Moore and, and what he's tried to instill into him is when when Barnsley got one back I was just like it's happening again it's going to happen Definitely. again and they're going to they're gonna bottle it and the fact that they were able to hold on against a team like Barnsley who have been so good and so like been really enjoyable to watch this season and they were a very very tough team to play against and the fact that they were able to hold on um, and, and you know Barnsley really threw it at them towards the end really? of the game and I think that that is, you know, it's it. The, the Barnsley game was one of those where I I watched that game and I just thought, from when we go down, Darren Moore can get us back up again. And 100%. I think that's the that yeah. that's the crux of it for me is that if Wednesday go down, it has got absolutely nothing to do with Darren Moore. If we stay up, they need to get a statue built of him because this is ridiculous. <laughs> like we're in a very like he took on a. A completely thankless job, and you know, I just hope that the the long term plan is that, like I say, if and when Wednesday go down, that Aaron Moore is the man to do the rebuild. Rebuild because I I can't get over, and I, I think I've said it on Twitter. I can't get over how how like this man is. Yeah, you talk to everybody, and literally no one has got a bad word to say about him. And I know you'll people say, obviously, if you're doing press conferences and that, those, they're, they're never going to say anything bad. Like, I never expect to go onto a, a, a Zoom press conference with a, a Wednesday player and then badmouth the manager. It'll never happen. But 
it's the stuff that you you speak to people about behind the scenes yeah. and and on a personal level as well as on a footballing level you know you speak to people at the club and the the efforts that he's gone to with with everybody there just like learn, making sure to learn first names with everybody whether you're a you know assistant manager or whether you're you know cleaning the cars out front like he wants to know everybody and he wants everybody to feel like they're part of something and i think that that's why when the players talk about why he's the right man to take him forward yeah I think it, it all resonates with me it's all about sort of rebuilding that connection between fan base and club and i think you know credit Absolutely. to credit to transiri that appointment um, has definitely done that and it's brought a, a bit of optimism um, to the club. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so obviously with Darren Moore then, do you think the aim is, because traditionally Wednesday have signed sort of proven talent with a bit of experience, whereas Darren Moore, what he's done at Doncaster is get young talent from you know Premier League teams, etc. on loan. Do you think he'll bring that sort of mentality to Wednesday or yeah I think so I think I think for for me the the nice thing with Darren Moore is that he's got those connections to that you know teams really want to send their players to work with him yeah you know you had that Donny and you know you look at the teams in the Premier League and um they really like the idea of their players going to work with Darren Moore because you know people can see the the good work that he's done and at Wednesday, that 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 will become double-barreled because all of a sudden he's now got a, no disrespect to Doncaster Rovers, but you know he's now got a big-name club on top of that. Yeah. And I think that if if Wednesday go down, for instance, playing for Sheffield Wednesday in League One under Darren Moore is a big draw card. You know, if you're a, if you're a Premier League club and you're looking to send your players to League One. Or even if you're looking to just send your players out of the Premier League, I think that that is a it's something that a lot of a lot of players and a lot of teams would would be very very open to. And I'm sure there will be an element of experience because you know I think it's just the nature of it. You you need experienced players. You can't just have a team of kids and, and nothing else around them. Um, but yeah, I don't expect that that he will change tack completely. I do think that he will still go down that route and you know it's probably the the more pragmatic approach to do at the minute anyway because i can't see wednesday going out and splashing the cash anywhere that yeah. that would seem firstly it would seem responsible and i and, and i don't think that it's it's something that that chan is looking to do um and secondly it's not been that way for a couple of years now you know the the days of wednesday spending millions on players is long gone and you look at the the sort of transfers that they've made over the last couple of years. Um, you know, Dominic Orfer springs to mind. I think they paid two hundred grand for him, which okay. obviously it's very sad that he's now steal. out for the year. But yeah, I mean that is he's a player that now, if he was fit and if he'd had a full season under his belt, I reckon you're talking three, four, five million for a player like Dominic Orfer. So yeah, you know, they're definitely the the kind of signings that Wednesday need to go down, and I and I think that. Like I say, I think Darren Moore's a, a big draw card um, for teams when when looking at that from now on. Yeah, I mean, Joe, it seems like the last sort of three summer transfer windows, well, obviously the one under Bruce, then he went to Newcastle, the last one under Monk, and now this one under Moore, they've also been branded as these huge rebuild windows. Um, 
you know, obviously something isn't going right if, if it's a, a yearly occurrence, but just how crucial do you think this summer's going to be with all those players out of contract? So who do you envisage staying and who do you possibly see leaving? It's an impossible question because the, it, it really depends on what happens. Yeah. And, that, and that's the terrifying thing at the minute is that those that there are players at that, at that football club now, rightly or wrongly, that will stay with Wednesday and would want to stay at Wednesday if they are a championship football club. If a League One, I'm not so sure, and and yeah. and and that is completely understandable. Do you know what I mean? Like, you look at yeah. someone like a Tom Lees, for instance. Tom Lees, for me anyway, has been Wednesday's probably Wednesday's player of the season this year. I think he's been the most consistent, you know, performer for Wednesday throughout the course of this year. Yeah. And that it's not been great, so the <laughs> the bar's not in, it's not massively high. But you know, I think Tom's been Tom's been brilliant for Wednesday this year, and he'd walk into another championship club. You know, it's it's not like he's going to struggle to get somewhere. So, I just don't see how players like Tom Lees, like Adam Reach, are going down to League One with Sheffield Wednesday. I just don't, just don't see it. I agree. I think my only slight, not reservation about Tom Lees, is that under under more obviously we've seen a sort of pass it out from the back style and. My <laughs> yeah, it's not his game, is it? No, it isn't, and that's my only reservation. Another player who's well. I think divided the fan base is an understatement is Joey Pelopesi and he's a man that you know I see you tweet very positively about and I agree with a lot of what you say I think he's the most underrated player in the squad and undervalued um, so what are your thoughts on Joey? Firstly I think Joey would be a tremendous footballer in League One that's for sure yeah I agree um, whether he'd want to come down I don't know because like I say I know I know he'll have options I, I would be very surprised if there's not championship clubs keeping an eye on him um, yeah. You know, going back to Holland, I, I've heard this interest in Turkey and Belgium as well. Like I say, I don't know if he'd want to if he'd want to stick around. But for me, the thing with Joey is that he's, I'm sure by his own admission as well, he's a limited footballer. Yeah. He is he is not Barry Bannon. You know, no. That's not his game. The thing that bugs me with with the way people go off at Joey is like he. People always go on about, you know, we just want players who care. We just want players who give everything this for the shirt. And then the other guy who literally gives everything for the shirt every week and then they want to hammer him and tell him he's useless. It's like, make your mind up, lads. It's you know the opposite I mean? the finest, um, isn't it? I yeah, think, I think exactly. for Joey, for Joey, sort of my, and this is where I feel for him, is Yoss signed him. And when you think about who he had as that defensive midfielder um, when Yoss signed him, you're talking Hutchinson, who, you know, he, let's face it, he's better on the ball than Joey, but... Joey wasn't ever really brought in to do Hutchinson's role. And I feel like everyone assumes Joey has to, when he gets the ball, move it through the phases and not just be that solid rock. At 100%. The 100%. Yeah, uh, I think that, that that's a genuine, a, sorry, general problem with... And I'm not going to say it's a Wednesday night problem because it's not. It's a football fan problem. You yeah. know, we we have a similar thing now with, um, with Adam Reach. People saying Nesh is out of tackles. That's not what he's there for. I agree. If you if you if you're wanting Adam Reach to go into all your fifty fifties, then then your expectations of him are wrong. It's like you you don't sign players to do a certain job and then annoyed when they don't do something else. Like like you say with Joey, people get annoyed at him that he's not making three, four, five key passes every game. He's there to mop up. That's his job. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. And 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 I think you you can't expect. It's it's almost like judging Kylian Mbappe on his ability to tackle. Do you know what I mean? Like it's 
yeah. it's just a nonsense. We're, I think that we we have this idea of um, we at Wednesday. The problem is that I, was, I can't remember. What I was talking to about it the other day. Sheffield Wednesday footballers currently are still being hurt by Chris Waddle, by David yeah. Hurst, by all that generation because in a lot of fans' heads, we still, we know where we were. Do you know what I mean? We know the sort of player yeah. that we had back in the day and I think it's quite difficult to come to terms with the fact that, that we're not signing those players anymore because yeah. we are, we are, now, a sleeping giant, sure, but we're a sleeping giant that's been asleep for a long time. It's in danger of being asleep you... too long as well. That's yeah, sort of yeah exactly. Falling I mean, exactly, into a yeah. coma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, full on. For, yeah, it's not. It's not sleeping anymore, is it? No, but I think yeah. that you know, we, we the the expectations need to be altered. Really, yeah. and that's sort of the impossible task, though, isn't it? I mean, obviously, um, I grew up. Uh, way after the likes of Waddle and Hurst, and I've grown up with you know your Forestieres and Bannons and stuff. So you know I can accept championship mediocrity a lot more than quite rightly other fans can because yeah. that's all I've ever yeah. experienced. You know that in League One. So um, no, it's sort of how do you shift those aspirations? And unfortunately, well, I mean again that small taste of semi-success with the 15, 16, 16, 17 season. Again, that's just fueled another ten years of. You know, we have absolutely. to be at a level. Um, yeah, no, completely. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, you know, I was sort of watching Bannon and Forestieri in their pomp, you know, when they, the 2016-17 season. Yeah, magical. 2017-18, um, they were genuinely the best the, the best duo I'd seen play for Wednesday since Canio Carbone. It was so yeah. good to watch. And, um, yeah, it's difficult to keep up those standards. Um, and and I always, always felt quite sorry for Carlos because when when you lose one playoff final, it's hard to sort of get the boys up again. To then lose a playoff semi against a team that you know you're better than, because we yeah. were better than Huddersfield on like you know pound for pound we were better than Huddersfield that year. Um, to lose that on penalties, having improved because we improved, you know, like. I think we were fourth that year. Um, we were, yeah. And to to deal with that double blow over two seasons, and then the financial hammer that comes with it, because because they had thrown everything at, at doing that. Yeah. House does start to fall down a little bit, um, and yeah, like I say, those expectations are there, and then the sort of player you have to sign changes and. Yeah, I think there just needs to be, and I've said it before. I think there needs to be a bit of a, a bit of a reality check, really, in terms of where we're actually at. And you know, if if Wednesday go down next season, if we go down and we have a window where we don't sign anybody that anybody knows, that's what they're more signings. My um, worries that's going to get toxic, the, though, Joe. That's yeah, my exactly. No, exactly, exactly. And that's my. What I was going to say. If, if, they, if we sign players that people don't know, but they're Darren Moore signings and he's got what he wants, just let the guy work. 100%. Let the guy work and let him do his thing because we have tried, you know, we've gone down the tried and tested route many times and it's not quite worked out. Um, yeah. And I, given the conversations I've had with Darren and about Darren, 
I completely think he is the right person. He's the, for me, he's the most exciting appointment at Wednesday in years. Yeah. Um, just because of everything about him. You know, he just just seems like such a... Something a bit different, bloke. isn't it? In terms of, sort of, if you look at the managers we'd had previously and they all played a certain set style of football yeah. that I think is sort of becoming less and less effective in the championship, as you see. And then, yeah. you know, credit to Chancery. He's come out with Darren Moore, this, you know, more attack-minded, uh, more Carlos-esque in sort of approach yeah. to the game. I think I think it's also been really interesting with Darren. You know, at, at Donny, he was quite strict on the on his his four two three one. He played it a lot. Whereas yeah. at Wednesday, he's he's come in and he's looked at what's available and he's looked at the op- the opposition he's gone up against. And he's shifted things around loads, trying to get to where he wants to be. And I mean, you know when. When Callum Patterson came in, for instance, everyone was like, is he going to play up front? Is he going to play right wing back? Is he going to play right back? And then it was the Barnsley game, wasn't it? When he, when yeah. he went, I'm actually going to play, play him centre mid. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they just looked like a different side, really. And it's not a position that I think many... Um, I mean, I never expected him to be playing as a centre mid. It's working, though. You know what I mean? But, it, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's been great. But that is that pragmatism, obviously, um, with the Wednesday squad in terms of utilising every man. But then I also, yeah. what I'm really impressed with more, almost more, is the, the pragmatism in terms of each opposition. Again, I don't want to hark on about the Barnsley game because I've already done it these two enough. But, um, you know, <laughs> against them, it was a completely different style to say against Cardiff or against Watford, which I thought we were lucky to lose that game personally. Um, yeah. You know, and that's what impresses me is perhaps other managers... Um, in one yeah, criticism the, it, of we, it's too rigid. Whereas with more, there yeah. seems this fluidity. Yeah, and 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 after that Barnsley game, I was when I was waiting down because obviously I've seen bits of Barnsley over the course of the season, um, but not I haven't watched every game. But when I was down there waiting for for Darren to come out, uh, someone some of the press were talking with if it was someone who worked for Barnsley or, or someone else, but were just saying that. Playing Patterson in that role and playing that formation was the perfect way to stop Barnsley. Like it was like a, a masterclass in, in how to stop Barnsley playing, and that's what I've been really impressed with. As you said, that the idea that he's he is well not at all rigid. Like he, there's no rigidity to to what he's doing. If he feels that he needs to change the entire formation or change the entire starting eleven to beat the opposition that they're going up against, then he's, he'll do that. And I I think that's that's really exciting because. Um, yeah. rigidity in, in the modern game is, is pointless so sort of off the yeah. pitch um, we've talked about on it off the pitch we all know the troubles the club's been through um, this is sort of your own personal opinion um, we were recently linked not sure how tenuous the links were but with David Webb as a possible director of football do you think the club should try and employ a sort of CEO or director of football or get you know, a higher higher man or woman in the, in, in the club me personally definitely yeah. I think it's if if literally nothing else but to take some strain off the chairman. 100%. Literally, if, if if it was if it was for no other reason other than to stop chairman having to deal with every single aspect of the football club, I think it would be useful. Genuinely, I I think Wednesday in a position where um, you can't have one guy doing everything. It's just not it's not sustainable. You know, you, it's. It, 
just a very it's, running a football club. I'm not going to profess to know what I'm talking about in that sense because I don't. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think that's one thing that I suppose we have to say when it comes to running a football club is that I've never done it, so I can't be overly critical in many ways because I ultimately I don't know what I'm talking about. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. It's like it's like me having to go to a heart surgeon for doing something differently because I don't know what they do either. But for for me personally, I just think that they could do with having someone who acts as a little man, you know, someone who's a little bit a little bit further down the pecking order than the chairman, who's got his ear, who is there at the club and works with everybody every day, um, and and sort of knows what they need, works hand in hand with with Darren Moore as the manager or whoever the manager might be at the time, um. I just, I just think it could be massively beneficial. Like you say, whether it's a chief exec or whether it's a director of football, a technical director, whatever we want to call it, just somebody in that sort of middle management role who can yeah. take the strain off a little bit. But, you know, it's funny. People always say, why don't you ask this? Why don't you ask that of the chairman? People love to have a, a crack at us for not asking certain things. But we always ask the questions. You know, we always yeah. ask We've, asked we've, asked, we've had Dom on and he said similar, you know, Dom House, and he said, if you if you listen to the press conferences, those questions are asked. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think the difference is people want us to be, be sounds that people want us to be mean. That's what I think yeah, a lot of the time. Yeah. They yeah. want us to just go on and have a pop, and that's, firstly, that's not a normal human thing to do anyway. Like, why would you why would you do that in any situation in life? Like, I'm not an aggressive person. So why would I go onto a in, onto a work phone call and just start having a go at someone whose job I don't actually know how to do? Yeah, it's just it's it, it's unreasonable. It's an unreasonable expectation. But secondly, just be respectful and and we ask the questions and yeah. sometimes we get the answers we want, sometimes we don't, and that's just that's the thing in it. Way of the world, it's, really. It's, <laughs> the problem isn't the question; it's the answer that you guys yeah. get, which then you know is the answer yeah. we as fans perhaps don't like. Um, but yeah, nothing yeah. you can do about that. Um, looking towards a man who's previously been at that sort of the top of the pyramid at Wednesday and recently took over Derby County, uh, Eric Alonso. Could you shed a bit of light on what Eric Alonso is like as a character? Because he seems to be a bit of a mystery man. I wish I could. I really wish I could, lads. He's uh, a. <laughs> like you say he's um. Bit of a, was a bit of a ghost, really. He, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. He, he was very open to talking to fans. You know, when he was involved at Wednesday, and people had sent him direct messages, and he had, he'd have long chats with them about sort of his hopes for the club and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, he, we never got, we never got to interview him or anything like that. But he's a, mm. yeah, he was an interesting character, and you know, he's obviously very determined to get involved in English football because. He, as soon as things broke down with Wednesday and he wasn't able to buy the club, he moved on and he's like, right, well, who can I buy? And he's, he's ended up yeah. at Derby now. I don't, I don't know what he's bought them for. But I think it was interesting. Pounds, I think it is, yeah. How much, so? Five million. It's not much. Oh, yeah, it's a bargain, isn't it? <laughs> we could probably club that together ourselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, it's... um, it, Yeah, I mean, with, with Eric Alonso, he... There was a lot said about you know him coming to Wednesday and trying to buy it from from Chancery, but I mean there was two main things about that deal. Firstly, the Chancery is not looking to sell. As much as some people might not like him, you know, he's put a lot of money into Wednesday and he's 
said many times he's he's not he's not looking to get out. It's not like he sees it as a, a club where he's just going to bail all of a sudden. Um, and if he was going to sell, there's no way he's selling for 25, 30 bar. You know, yeah, he, yeah. he values the club much higher than that. So, what does um, he value the club? That, oh, sorry to interrupt, but so, oh no, I, I, do I, I don't know figures or anything. No, I just yeah. mean it, it will be a, it will be substantially more than that, especially given the amount of money that he's put into it. Yeah, um, it'll want him at least if he was to sell, like I say, which. I have no um, no indications that he has any intention of selling. But if he was to one day, I, I'd think he'd at least want to make some of his money back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's really interesting the Erica Alonso thing. I I think it's no. It's the 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 tribalistic nature of football fans to not want to see other people do well. But look at yeah. teams like Derby, and it's just I I feel the same way about Derby as I do about so many other clubs and. A big football club with so much history in it, and I just it makes me sad when I think of teams like Derby. And I mean, look at Sunderland and Sunderland being where they are. And yeah. I mean, how Sunderland were growing up, and how many people in that in that city care about that football club. And if it would be a, it would be a crying shame to see these sort of historic football clubs, and I, I include Wednesday in that sort of just full into mismanagement and down into league one and league two, like just, mm. yeah. So, so I, I still wish, you know, I wish Derby all the best with, with Eric Alonso there because, um, just don't want to see, I just don't want to see clubs like that fall down. Um, what will happen? We will only time will tell with that. <laughs> Obviously there's a lot of, I think quite a lot of apprehension about him enjoying yeah. because of, because there's so little actually known about him. Um, I was on Radio Derby yesterday and they asked me a similar thing and I just said, you know, you've just, you've got to roll with it. It'd be unfair to judge the guy not knowing, you know, just because you don't know something about him doesn't mean you should automatically go to the negative. Yeah. Um, when you don't know something about somebody, improve themselves. And that's kind of the way I, I judge it is, you know, we don't know much about him, but let him do his thing. You know, time, time will be the, um, that will be the answer as to whether it's uh, whether it's the right thing for Derby or not. Yeah. Um, just one final quick question on him. Um, obviously, uh, he put he put out many tweets to Wednesday night saying, "I love this," and a picture of Wadner Wembley or something. He's done the same about at Derby. I've seen about the good times will return. Perhaps it's the cynic in me, but was his offer for Wednesday ever anything that you know could have really gone anywhere, or was it more just a publicity stunt in terms of? Making you know stirring that pot a little bit more. We'll never know. Yeah, that that I know it's not the sort of answer that you want for me, but it it is literally a case of unless he says otherwise, we'll never know. And um, yeah. <clears throat> I think it's more a case of he did want to buy Sheffield Wednesday, um, because he wouldn't have been involved to the level that he was if he didn't want to. Um, that's the the long and short of it for me. Um, but it didn't happen for whatever reason, and now he, he moved on to someone else, just like any of us would do. You know, if I want to buy a pair of trainers and can't afford that pair of trainers, no matter how much I like them, I'm gonna go buy buy some cheaper ones, and then yeah. I like those trainers just as much. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's yeah. just the the yeah. nature of anyone. It's it's um yeah, it's just the nature of the beast, really. And I 
I've seen a lot of people sort of saying, yeah, but you were saying this about Wednesday, but, um, you know, if he's an ambitious person, then teams like Sheffield Wednesday, teams like Derby County, and, and taking them back to, you know, the the areas of, of, of yesteryear, then it is, it's a, it's a big thing to try and achieve. And so I wish him all the best. And I just hope that at some point, Wednesday can get back in the Premier League because... I'd like I'd like my dad to see us back in the Premier League before before he runs out of time. Yeah. yeah. Um. So obviously you've covered every Sheffield Wednesday match this season. Um. On a more broader scale, what what teams have you been impressed by in the Championship this season? Brentford were ridiculous. Yeah. Um. They've dropped off a little bit now, but yeah, that. Evan Tony's he's, he's a monster. Like. Yeah. His, his knack of being in the right place at the right time is just it is it's remarkable. Obviously, Norwich are ridiculous as well. Norwich, the the interesting thing with Norwich, I thought we were saying there about how what we did all right against Norwich, and I thought we did. You know, I thought we matched for the most part. We matched one of the best teams in the league, and if not the the best team in the league, they've just got that bit of quality. And I mean, their winner. Just kind of summed that it up. Campwell goal was it was magnificent. Yeah, just... just the way the speed at which Emi Buendia had been almost non-existent in that game. He's he's. I mean, he's not a Championship footballer for a start. He should not be in this division. He's um, a Champions League player, really. Like, yeah, no, he's 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 yeah. They're, they're punching well above the weight at Norwich with him in the side. I mean, to be fair, you could probably say that with Mupuki and. Campwell as well. They've got yeah. a fair few players there that aren't Championship footballers, and same with Brentford, really. But with 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 that Norwich game, the the winner, the way that Josh Windass tried to break, Emi Wendia tackled him, picked his pass to perfection, and Todd yeah. Campbell didn't just score. Like he he yeah. he could not have put it in a more yeah. perfect place. And and the yeah. the finishing ability from and, and Pukki's goal was was just. Perfectly placed as well, and they're they're just a side that are just too good for this league. I don't know if they'll end up yo-yoing. I don't know if they'll go up and they're going to struggle again. But for this league, they're just yeah, just too good. We had the same um, when we played them at Carrow Road. It was like both teams were just toe to toe for the entire game. Then Buendia just scored an absolute screamer to make it one nil, and that's it. They they just have that bit of class, you know, that yeah. wins some games. Yeah, like I said, I think those are the two teams that have really impressed me. Um, interesting looking at league because you, you base it all on your experiences, don't you? You base it on the games that you yeah. see. And you know, like with Watford, for instance, Watford are flying at the minute, up, you know, pushing for promotion. But I wasn't particularly impressed with either of the games we played against them. Yeah, same. Um, here. They weren't very good against Barnsley. Um... I think there's yeah. a lot of teams this season that are not in false positions because the old trope goes the league table doesn't lie, but it's been a strange year in terms of results, hasn't it? It has. It's been very weird. And I think it's... I, I think I probably speak for a lot of football fans where you just want to see the back of this season now because it's just been horrible. Like, I want it to continue forever. I was going to say, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just mean in terms of it. I know, like with with teams like Barnsley, obviously you're batting a little bit above you, mm. above where you thought you were going to be and stuff. So that's really nice. But I mean, how how bad would it be if you were to get to the playoff final and you weren't able to go? Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, maybe horrible. It's it's just after after all the years of watching Barnsley battle to to not to have to miss the the year that promotions on the cards. I just think it's yeah. all really sad and. For me, the, the sooner, and I'm not just saying this because we're, we've been horrible, <laughs> but I just, like I say, I just want to, I just want to see the end of it so we can sort of get back to what football is. Because, and I know I've said, you know, people of early doors, especially, were saying you're so lucky to be going to games and stuff, and and it was nice at first. You you feel like you're part of this kind of exclusive club, you know, like you're going to games yeah. and not many people can go, and you feel like, oh look, you know, look at me, I'm a bit special. Then after like five or six games, it's just like you're going to you're going to glorified under twenty three matches, and you know there's no atmosphere there. It just feels just feels soulless. That's the best way I can describe it. Really, I know the old cliche of football is nothing without fans, but it it is one hundred percent true because it just almost feels like it means nothing. You know, yeah. there's I mean that that Bournemouth game, for instance. There'd been fans there, you know. It's a long, long, long trip down to Bournemouth on a Tuesday night. It's absolutely freezing. It's raining. But a man sent off, giving a penalty away, and then Jordan Rose pops up in the ninety-third minute to score a winner against a team that's meant to be probably winning the league. And then it's just my little whiny voice on the on the, <laughs> on the video doing a little cheer on my own. It's just, it's really sad. Um, but yeah, it's it's. It's been an interesting season from my perspective and I'm I'm glad that I've in some ways I'm glad that I've sort of been here to cover it because it's been I don't think we'll ever get anything like this again so sort of thing that you know you, you tell people about in 30-40 years time but um, going back to what you were originally saying it's just been really weird like results have been really strange because there's no fan um there's no fan engagement there to sort of drag the ball in. You look at that Wednesday yeah. Barnsley game. If 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 Oakwell's packed out and it's two one, I think we finish that two two. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I think yeah. I think that you the the fans kind of drag it in because it builds and and I feel the same way about Wednesday against Norwich, for instance. When Wednesday it's two one at Norwich and had a little bit of a push towards the end of it. Just got to back him a bit more when there's people behind the cop trying to drag the ball in and stuff. And it's yeah, it, it's just a, it's just been a year when so little has actually made any sense, really. Yeah, sort of. Um, final question from me, Joe. Um, which ground? I mean, this might have been limited because of uh, COVID, but which ground would you say has the best press food? <laughs> Don't know, mate. Because this is the this is the worst part of this entire job. Yeah, I don't know because oh. everyone there's been none. I haven't had any press food anywhere, and it's shocking, devastating. Because <laughs> Alex and Alex and Dom are always telling me this place has got amazing press food. Look, we're looking forward to going here next season because these these guys do a good job. Apparently, even Wednesday, like even though it's obviously home games, like. Apparently Wednesday's press food's really good, but I wouldn't be able to tell you because I spend all my time outside, freezing my arse off with my own <laughs> flask of Bovril in a 
and that's about it. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's that that is. This is the most animated I've been about any question you've given me because I feel very <laughs> passionately about it. Um, because yeah, I um I got I got told about a lot of places in the press food that they do, and I haven't been able to experience it. So, are, are there um, any particular places you're looking forward to going to that you've heard about from maybe Alex or Dom? What for, for the from the from a press food perspective? Yeah, from a food perspective. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, this gone, so. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. <laughs> Apparently, Norwich is really good. Yeah. I tell you where it was actually good, and I'm not just saying this. Yeah. Barnsley, when we went to Barnsley, they gave us a little, like a, you know, like when you used to go to parties as a kid, and, yeah. and they'd give you like a party bag with sweets in it. Yeah. Barnsley yeah. did that, and I was delighted. That was quality. I got, I got a Kit Kat, I got a Kit Kat, some Skittles, and a couple of lollipops, and I was absolutely <laughs> delighted with that. We won't be able to so, Yeah, DK, shout out to Barnsley but... uh, for the party bag, because, um, more teams need to give me lollies. It would have been better if it's gone chubba chubs just for a, you know, for an authenticity perspective. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, yeah. But no, it's like I say, for me, there's Norwich is meant to be really good. Um, apparently Wickham are good as well, but obviously Wickham, I mean, we'll be in league one with them next season. So that's not a problem. I'll get to, I'll get to try that out next year. Yeah. Be a disgrace if Norwich wasn't good considering Dealey Smith owns them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do like this idea that she, it's just her. Maybe it's all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, well, I think we've covered everything we wanted to and more in that one. Um, thanks, Joe, for coming on because that is seriously probably up there with our best episodes yet. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, really appreciate it. You have it. some really Pleasure. good insight. I'm just, I'm just um, pleased to be talking to people again, to be honest. I've become a bit of a hermit. Yeah. I, go to, I go to games, sit on a train on my own, Come back and then I sit and write about how bad Wednesday have been, and that is that is every day of my life now. Oh yeah. Um, so please do like the video on YouTube if you're listening on YouTube. Subscribe, follow us on Spotify and Apple, and if you are on Apple, please do give us a five star review. It really does help us out. Thanks once again to Joe for coming on, and we'll catch you in the next podcast. Thanks, guys.